This is a Strategist episode 1076. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what's going it's on? It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Zane. Your first, your Zane, first your official first Father's, Father's Day. Day. This yeah. is true. I've, uh, it's my first Father's Day. Uh, unlike you, Corey, you've had several Father's Days and several children. So that's true. Yeah. Can I tell you, uh, my daughter, my oldest mm-hmm. daughter. Wow, just way to make it about yeah, yourself wow. very quickly. Yeah, but go yeah. ahead. That's fine. Go ahead. She she was born in June. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Mother's Day. Anyone familiar with when Mother's yes, Day is? Yes, it's in May. No, no clue. Yeah. Yeah. It's in yeah. May. So the May before my daughter was mm-hmm. born, uh, my wife was suggesting perhaps we should do something to mark Mother's Day. And I said, well, you're not a mother yet. I got a lot of trouble for that. I seem to recall Ooh. that. I want wow. you to Did you say that on the yeah. podcast? <laughs> I think the, God, that didn't go well. I don't know. No. It was a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> it was a different time. Yep. But yeah. Father's Day occurred after my daughter was born. So I got a barbecue for that particular Father's Day. And when you say you got a barbecue, tell me. How I've never happened. used it for my children. Yeah, no, it's just. Oh, you mean me. like, oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. You mean you physically got a barbecue. I thought he meant like he got a barbecue. Not that a barbecue, barbecue party he, was hosted yeah. in your honor. Yeah, that's what I was trying to. No, like, I you... physically got a barbecue, which again, I've never shared or used for anybody but myself. Yeah, well. Yeah. Not even your family? We've not been invited no, it's over my for barbecue. a barbecue, have we, Zane? Okay, so I need to be clear about this. Yeah. <laughs> the byproduct of the barbecue is the food made on the barbecue. Has that been shared with your for family? For me. No, for me. It only yeah. does vegetarian. It's never seen, you know, meat. It's true. You do eat, sh- you do eat uh, very no, no, shitty no, no. food. I've... You eat terrible well, now, food. Now people are going to be thinking, is this a real thing? Is he not letting the barbecue be used by other well, people? I am one of those people. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is, you think I'd waste three minutes? I would. Uh, Say, uh, you, you've eaten food off of that barbecue. I've given you food from second. that barbecue before. You invite him never over been to your house? So have you. you I have both... never. I've, okay. I first barely of all, you know where you live. You have both been to my house. And no, on those no, occasions, I have we not barbecued. been to your house. I have not yeah. been to your house. This wow. is a lie. Life was good. Wow, it was just powering right through the fact that I have not been to his house. This is Corey, insane. It was probably another brown person at your home. <laughs> Celebrate the moment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Do you I, recall I, when I lived in that apartment? There was an apartment. I have pictures. No, of you. I don't okay. recall. No, what All apartment? Right. Do you recall going to oh, Annalise's first birthday, which was yeah, how many years ago? Yeah, I, that wasn't in that apartment. Okay. That, I'm just saying that we haven't been to your know. place for a long I feel like time. I was invited to your house, but I didn't go to You know what I think Anyways, it is? I think Lori doesn't we, like uh... it. I think that's what it is, <laughs> if I'm honest. Carter, how was your Father's Day? It was great. Kids came over in the morning. Um, then they buggered off quick, which was fantastic. Uh, best part about that's being a dad with kids that live somewhere else is they leave. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. I'm very close to that myself. So yes, uh, he's almost six months old. So we're almost we're almost there. Yeah, we're okay. almost there. Yeah. yeah, you 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 are born. Uh, you eat cantaloupe. You hate it, and then you leave. That is the Velgy track. Uh, the Velgy track. That's how we, we did, generally have done. It's what you did. It's what your dad did. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what generations of us have done. Uh, anything else, Carter? Oh, oh, there is actually one thing else, Corey, and, and it's directed to you, uh, Corey. We have done it. Sunwing has no is no longer an airline. WestJet is going to roll it up into uh, their their overarching uh, business unit. Corey, we did it again. I don't know how we've done. We are in a fucking hot streak here, Carter. I know you had like nothing else, like nothing else. Yeah, we are shutting down these airlines. The same strategy, fucking business, man. If you never leave the gate, they can't come to the guys. And I had it it works on more than one airline. Carter, it's like an illegal screen by an airline. What do you? I had first of all the illegal screen shouldn't (laughs) be illegal. Same joke twice. And uh, secondly, 
Uh, let me tell you this. I had I was I flew on Air Canada on on Friday. I flew one way on Friday, and then I couldn't get back home, so I actually slept in an airport. So if I'm pretty cranky, uh, I'd like us to start picking on uh, Air Canada, if that's at all possible. What do you think? No, no, no. No, that's no, no. not what no. we do here. What? Yeah, no. That's, that's not. Do I have any say in this podcast at all? Like, I mean, you never have. I'm gonna... You never have, Carter, and you have no say in our next segment, our I'm next segment, and our first and only segment. What, Carter? Corey, you're like breathing in before I am about to just... I'm going to kill him. Listen to those cake sounds. Like, you remember just before we recorded? Well, they're not said... cake sounds. They're, they're, they're fork on plate sounds. Carter, yeah. why? Why why do you hold on now I have to ask you a question. Do you get cake for Father's Day? Is this a thing I should be expecting that my, you didn't my get cake? isn't delivering on? <laughs> Corey makes barbecue for himself. No, we don't get cake. No, we don't get I cake. I got cake. No, it's a Do you always get cake? It's a carrot cake with uh infused with beet and uh uh sweet potato. So mostly it's like a casserole. More than our first segment, oh God. the path forward, guys. Thank God, we're, we're this up. is what he's wrecking your audio for, people. Just, yeah, this is this is good. Um, it's pretty tasty. Carter, Corey, I want to talk about. It. I want to talk about the NDP, well, the Alberta NDP path forward. Rachel Notley is back. She had a press conference this week. She said she is staying on as leader for now. I want to talk about what the strategy for the Alberta NDP is going forward. There's been a lot of speculation about leadership change and when and party policy and party name. But what I want to start is at a more fundamental level. I want to ask you guys, what are the right questions to be asking right now? Because the media environment is clearly focused on the questions that are big and existential. And you guys might lead me in that direction around party brand, party name, etc., but the questions I want to ask you to start with, Carter, are what are the questions the Alberta NDP should be asking themselves in this moment? Still off a, off a loss, still um, you know trying to figure out who takes on certain critic roles, what their overall strategy is, um, heading into to, into the summer, heading into the fall. So the question I want to ask you to start with, and maybe I'll give Stephen Carter the first shot at this, and we can yes and it and build a list together, are what questions should the Alberta NDP be asking themselves right now? now carter how do you get to financial security right so elections are are costs costly little endeavors um you know i would imagine that the ndp did very well financially through the course of the election and uh you know but there's probably still some some things that need to be cleaned up and how do you get yourself into a financial situation where you're able to to run another election relatively quickly uh, as I have said a couple of times on the podcast, money can is I the can I just interrupt you? Why do you say relatively quickly? Is there something that you're? Well, I'm getting there, trying to tease I'm out. Getting there. there. Okay, okay, okay. You know, I'll let just, you. I'll let you, you know, do it. I'll let you do it. So he was about to give. He was about I to was drop about some to do the whole money is the currency of politics thing. And oh uh, now God, I'm not going to be able to plug the that. special mug. Here's what I want, um, Corey. I want a poster of that poster. Okay, that's what I want in the store very quickly. Carter, go back to you. Go. But but the. The opportunity to raise money should be grabbed, and I think the best way to grab that is to focus on something that I think is very real, and that is um, Rachel or Rachel Notley. Danielle Smith is going to be facing a, a leadership review, uh, and for all we know, Rachel Notley will face a leadership review as well. But for now, we're focused on um, what's going to happen in the next little while, and and for the NDP to be truly successful, I think they need to focus on um, being ready should something happen at the Danielle Smith leadership review. You know, there's a very real possibility that Danielle is not the leader very soon, and uh, not necessarily that we could go back into another election, but that elections, the, the it's going to be fluid. 
And that fluidity gives them all kinds of different opportunities. And, and I think that the other thing they need to do is not focus on what the media wants them to focus on. Who's the leader? Uh, what's the leadership process going to look like? Those types of things. If Rachel Notley is happy to be the leader for the next um, 20 to 18 months or 18 to 20 months, um, then let her be the leader. Don't worry about leadership politics and shit like that. Build the party up, make yourself successful and strong, and then you can start thinking about other things. Corey, you wanted to jump in here? Yeah, uh, as Carter was talking, like, so first of all, my reaction when Carter started, when he started with money, you know, and staying ready, at first I thought, what a bonkers top of the list. Like, how fucking crazy is that? But it's actually 100% correct in a way, and I might have phrased it a bit differently, but... Uh, you know, I have said before, and I'll say again, one of the reasons why I think the NDP was successful in 2015 is because they didn't allow themselves to get distracted by the same things. The Wild Rose got distracted by, the Liberals got distracted by, the Alberta Party got distracted by. And this was a time when all of those organizations were actually political parties with representation in the legislature and could conceivably have become something, right? But they were way into the existential stuff that I suspect we're going to get into in a minute. And I suspect a lot of the NDP wants to get into. And the NDP were pretty clear on who they were. They were pretty clear on what they needed to do. And they were fucking dressed and ready for the bus. And one of the things that has been the NDP's great success in the past 10 years, in my opinion, is they know when it's time to put their pants Mm -hmm. on. And so it would be a real shame... If as part of thinking about what NDP 2.0 is or 3.0 or however you want to kind of number it, they lost that. So there is kind of a foundational readiness. We are an organization that exists to fight elections and we need to maintain that readiness, particularly in times of, uh, let's call it political uncertainty being kind of the, the baseline in Alberta. They need to continue to maintain a certain amount of readiness. And so I actually agree with Stephen. Like I, when he started talking, I was about to jump down his throat, but He's actually right. The first thing they need to do as a foundation before they start thinking about everything else, think about this as like Maslow's hierarchy of political organization needs, right? They need to make sure that they maintain their viability as a political organization and they're ready no matter what comes. So, uh, Corey, I want to give you a chance to add to this list, but can we talk about money for a second? Sure. Uh, if you guys both think... And for it, me, it's, it's, not, it's not just money. It's, it's organization. It's, it's, okay. Yeah, there's okay. a number of different pieces. Right? Let, me, let me talk about the messaging for money. Carter, I'll give you a shot at this first. Would it just be strict oppositional messaging that they've been used to over the course of the past four years to raise the dollars? Or or do you, because do you have any other lever here? Do you have any sort of government in waiting for, exactly, but do you even need to play the government in waiting or like propositional element now that you're so fresh off an election and need to refill the bank? What are you just going straight after Danielle Smith as an extension of that strategy? Talk to me about you know the overall sort of messaging for money. How would you start thinking about that? I'd be thinking, I'd, I'd be showing the government in waiting structure um i would not still oh well not still because i just don't think that the ndp are particularly good at showing the government in waiting structure i think that the ndp is particularly good at punching um and the punching has been solid i mean i like we like the negative uh messaging we were probably the biggest cheerleaders for the negative stuff that you guys did congratulations ain't i thought it was some really great stuff um but Right now, you need to actually show people what they're missing. Show, you know, like it's it's kind of an extension of what I was saying with the, um, you know, instead of shitting on the on the new cabinet ministers, set the expectations, set the expectations out. And that expectations needs to be set so that we can have some sort of 
um, real NDP opposition party that says this is what the government would look like, right? The government would look different. And that, that to me is, is what the NDP must do as, as they go through this is stop talking about what, uh, how the UCP is wrong and instead start showing what we would get as Albertans if the NDP were actually in government. To, to raise money, Corey, same, same question to you. Do you agree with Carter's take? To raise money? No. I mean, I, I think that the work that he's described is work that needs to happen and it will pay dividends. Um, but to raise money, I think we have a, a rather tragic amount of evidence that what you do to raise money is you push people's buttons and you make people feel as though the sky might fall if you don't get uh, if you don't get that five dollars today. Don't feel great about that. Like, as I say it, I'm like, man, what a downer. Maybe that's part of why we're in this situation we're in as a society. But I think we all know that that's what actually gets people to open their pocketbooks. Corey, I'll give you an opportunity to add to the list. We've Thanks, got money Matt. slash readiness co- co-created by both of you. Thank you, Carter. Yeah, no, no. Uh, please tell us more about the cake. Never. Uh, Corey, <laughs> what else would you add to money and readiness? Well, once you've built there, you go up the list on the pyramid, right? What uh, What is the reason that you exist? Start talking about policy. Start talking about your name. Start talking about your leader. And I think those are the things that the NDP need to determine next. And Maybe I'll put one that's almost, fuck, you know, again, my hesitation on all of this is I saw a lot of political parties for a long time in Alberta sweat these things a lot when probably what mattered most of all is that they had a sense of mission and they were ready to go, which is what Mm. the NDP had. And so the NDP could very easily backslide here into kind of the classic opposition morass that... I think defined this province's politics for a very, very long time. Explain that to me, like as if I'm a layman um, on this particular point. What what do you mean by this morass? Yeah, I'll use the Alberta Liberal Party as an example, because of course I was quite close to that. For those who aren't familiar, I was executive director of that party uh, some time ago when they were the official opposition. And they were constantly consumed with what they needed to do to break out of where they felt stuck. Now, they were stuck in a very different place where the NDP, some people think, are stuck. I'm not Mm, amongst them. mm -hmm, I actually mm -hmm. think that, you know, but for a couple thousand votes, we'd be having totally different conversations right now. But there is, um, you know, there was the, maybe we need to change our name. We're too close to the federal, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the federal liberals. Maybe we need to do a merger with another political party. Maybe we need to, uh, uh, just sort of rebranded, changed the color of the political party from red to green. And it was all of these crazy schemes and all of these crazy things that ultimately didn't amount to a hill of beans, right? Because they weren't thinking about, like, they were thinking about electability in a way like you think of a game of risk. Like, well, if I just get this country and that country, then I can invade these other countries. But politics doesn't really work like that. Politics is really about stories. So I guess what I will say is they, it's, for me, it's actually less the philosophy and it's more the story that the NDP wants to tell, mm. right? That's the, that's the important thing for me. And that to me is more important than brand. It's more important than leader at this point. Right. Assuming that leadership will just be a conversation that flows out of it. But if the NDP can resolve the question of the story that they want to tell about Alberta and Alberta's future, why they exist and why you want to vote for them. And that's not work that requires policy conventions. That's work that requires, you know, a strong hand at the till and and like some directionality here. That to me, that's the most important thing that they need to figure out going forward. And the rest of it, 
fuck, you can get lost in it so quickly, right? Like 75% needed on the bylaws. Oh, this group is mad. Oh, these caucus members are speaking out against it. Find me the story about what Alberta looks like in 2070. And the rest of it's going to fall into place. Carter, do you agree with Corey's ordering here? That story comes before brand, before and brand in in the most broadest sense, right? And we're well, not just talking. I, about I think the, I mean brand, Zane. Like I, what? Yeah. So, so tease I it out for me. Then brand is not logos, and brand is not agreed. That's why I'm yeah, saying in the, in the broadest name. sense, in the broadest sense, brand, right? Like in the broadest sense, companies. brand is when people think of this party. What do they think of? What do they think they're getting with this party? That's the fundamental question that people are going to have. And often that wrestling occurs through a leadership contest. But that to me is the most important thing that the NDP needs to figure out. So let me ask the question this way. Carter, is story slash brand, right? Is that ahead on your list, ahead of leadership certainty? Oh, man. Leadership exists beyond. uh, Leadership is a reflection of brand. And leadership often does a very good job of defining brand. Not not the other way around? Um. It, def- it can define brand, but the brand doesn't, f- you know, I think that if you've got a good story, then people know what they're competing for, right? People would know mm. what they're competing to lead. Um, right now, I'm not sure that, you know, if you asked six New Democrats what they were competing to lead, I'm not sure you get six, uh, six, the six same answers. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the real risk. That you know, I mean, for- right now, there's a whole bunch of uh, New Democrats running around saying that the reason that they lost is blank, right? Well, there is no reason that they lost yet, right? There is no understanding of reason that they lost. I mean, certainly what we would put on the reason that they lost is that there was no stories being told. There was no common understanding of what the brand looked like. Um, They would make that ideological. They would say, well, our brand needs to be ideological. Well, does it? I mean, what evidence do you have of that? Um, There aren't many ideological parties in Canada that are actually doing particularly well right now. Um, but you know, whatever we can, we can have that conversation, but it's not for now right now. It's, can you imagine the world that we want to live in under, you know, if it were an NDP government, what is the thing? Why do we exist? Corey's asked the question a number of times, and I'm going to steal his question. And the question is, if our party didn't exist, why would someone come to create it? Right. And I may have bastardized it a little bit, Corey, but it's close. But you know, right now. The party doesn't exist. You're in opposition. It doesn't matter. You didn't win, right? So you get the freedom to actually redefine what the party needs to look like. Um, mm. Do that without leaving it to the next leader to do it, right? Like, you can't just say, oh, the next leader is going to do everything. Okay, well, you might wind up with a completely different party then. If that's okay, then then you should do that. But right now, I think that what we need to do is talk about what the experience that Albertans actually want should be. How are you going to achieve it? And then allow um, the next leaders, leaders, leadership candidates to compete for that under that brand structure. Let's let's talk about this for a second. Corey, I want to go to you on this um, because <clears throat> actually give me your thoughts on overarching sort of story and brand reflecting to Carter. And then I want to maybe rather than asking you guys to add to this list, spend a bit of time on this, because there does seem to be, at least in the media narrative, a bit of a question around a tug of war around the NDP story go forward. So Corey, your thoughts, and then we'll jump into that. Well, th- those are kind of where I wanted to go. And, th- and that's okay, somewhat the, the thoughts that I want to put on the table here. Here's the thing about leadership contests. Leadership contests are an incredible vehicle for change. I mean, you can look at so many times when somebody takes over the leadership of a party and changes that party in rather fundamental ways, right? Including, in many cases, the name of the party, as we've seen next door in British Columbia, 
right? All doable. Like leadership is a strong lever, but it's not the only lever. And the risk I think that sometimes exists when people start to put everything into the leadership bucket is if there's that much that's on the table, you're going to have one wild leadership contest. Imagine a Mm. leadership contest right now with the NDP where somebody is saying the problem is we didn't commit ourselves to our social democratic values. It says right in our constitution, our goal is democratic socialism. Did you even hear the word socialism during the conference? The reason we were success or sorry, the election, the reason we were successful in 2015 is because our job is to be there for the working person. And we lost sight of that. We came out of nowhere in 2015 because that was a platform that reflected a party committed to democratic socialism. And the last two elections, even though we faced these, you know, historically bad, historically unwelcoming to worker leaders, we instead went to the middle. That was a massive mistake. We betrayed who we were. And that's why we didn't see the success we saw in 2015. You're going to have people saying that. Uh And on the far other side, you're going to say, the problem with the NDP right now is our commitment you know, like we have not managed to get rid of the shackles of our previous commitments and our previous worldviews that were much narrower, things like democratic socialism. We've got to be a party that wants to be, uh, you know, committed to the free market and and the ideas of being almost like a PC-ish. Uh, that's not the words they would use. I was much more articulate on the other side, but they would find words like, you know, we're going to be there and we're going to create prosperity for everybody. And the job of the NDP is prosperity through those market mechanisms that exist. And like we get it. We don't deny economics. This is who we are as New Democrats. This is who we've evolved to be. And it's our job, actually, if anything, to be more thoughtful and more reflective of that that middle of the road Alberta that that is where the base of power in this pro- in this province and this country sits, right? And so now you've got a leadership contest, and you've got a wing that's literally mm-hmm. socialism, and you've got a wing that's mm-hmm. literally small. See conservatism revealing because, itself in pretty stark difference, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you've gone into this saying leadership is going to resolve all of our questions in this scenario, right? Like mm. you've defined the party is so open that both of those wings can exist in the party. That's a super dangerous leadership contest. You might think it's exciting. You might think it's invigorating. I think it's a recipe for disaster when you're already in opposition. Because what happens is you could easily see a split. Imagine that candidate on the right wins, and everybody on the left. You know, perhaps there's like. 10 MLAs who agree with that position on the left. Maybe there's a standard bearer on the left. Well, now you've created a very weird tension in your party. And the NDP have historically been a very solid party, right? Like without those tensions. And similarly, the other way around, and we haven't even layered on the public personas Mm. here where let's just say you are that candidate in the center, which I'm calling the candidate on the right of the NDP. And let's say you win at the end of the day there. But you barely win. And there was this whole wing of people who said, we want to be socialists, right? Well, what does that do to your public persona as you start thinking about how to position yourself Mm -hmm. to the next thing? And maybe that's fine, and maybe that's healthy, and maybe that's what the NDP wants. But if you start thinking about how you set yourself up for electoral success, and you remember that first principle of readiness, you want to be ready at all times, that's been the strength of the NDP, I would caution you you are going to surrender readiness for a year or two post a leadership contest like that as you figure your shit out. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if you want to maintain readiness to tie this all back, you've got to start thinking about the story to tell what the NDP is, narrowing the band a little before you fire that starting pistol. If you put too much into the leadership contest, you might not have as much coming out mm-hmm. of it. Carter, help me, help me with the how. 
Corey's made a very persuasive case. I suspect it's one that you agree with because it is one that's in line with what, what you said, which is the, the current leader, however long she stays, should resolve the story question, should ensure the brand is solidified. Talk to me about some of the hows. How do you do some of these things before you you, you either, and, and I'm, I'm speculating here, whether you kind of resign your post, whether you leave, whether you're, you're kind of saying that, you know, it's time for a new leader. How do you solidify directionality? How does one actually do that on the heels of a loss where there's many, to your earlier point, this is why we lost narratives out there? I'd steal it from Peter Lougheed. Peter Lougheed wrote out a, I think it was uh, seven, uh, a manifesto of seven principles for the uh, progressive conservatives back in 1967, I think. And, um, you know, Redford studied them and, and really kind of took them to heart. Unfortunately, we didn't uh, we didn't live it as well as we could have lived it. But when you looked at those principles, it was an easy thing to do to kind of go back and say, well, what do they mean? What do they actually mean in today's society? And can we live this reality now? Uh, and and it was I think we were very successful in living that reality. Um, you know, we we our first throne speech I think is still stands as a great document that articulated what our real values were. Um, unfortunately, then we walked away from those values. But if you were able to articulate several principles, it's not about policy. It's not about policy. Like, I, I just need to to really push that out there, right? It need, it's about a frame of looking at issues and how are you going to solve them? Now, you could choose to solve them ideologically. We approach things from a socially democratic point of view, blah, 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 blah. Or you could choose to approach it pragmatically, right? It is no, there is no such thing as a uh, one size fits all solution. Albertans are unique. Um, we are going to tackle problems with, uh, you know, like, so the conservatives would put fiscal prudence first. Well, the NDP may put um, Albertans needs first, right? Uh, we will, you know, if we're, if we're going to balance off the long term objectives versus the short term objectives, that was one of Lloyd's strengths. He saw a longer term vision than just the short um, you know, writing out a document like that um, could be the greatest gift that uh, that uh, Rachel Notley gives to the party, especially if she's thinking about leaving. And she has the strength now to enable the party to develop that without it falling into, um, you know, a set of, well, I need this for, for my leadership or I need that for my leadership, right? She's still the leader. To Corey's point, uh, and he made this, I think, in the last episode or two episodes ago, these people owe a debt of gratitude to Ra- Rachel Notley. They are almost all there because of the leadership that she brought. And if she wants to take a little bit of time to redefine what this party looks like in terms of story, in terms of meaning, in terms of rationale, to the to the voter to Albertans, um, then she should be allowed that because that will then be the land on which the leader, le- next leadership will be conducted. You know, the next leadership would then be conducted on the land that she creates in this particular exercise. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah, Corey, could, could that work, Corey? Well, I, it's interesting. I've it, as you were giving that soliloquy there, I, I and I mean that in a positive sense. I was thinking to myself like. Is there something like the George Washington farewell address that's oh, available yeah. to a politician like Rachel Notley? Like not every politician could get away with it, but she created this thing out of nothing. And um, and that would allow her to maybe say, I'm leaving, but I want to leave you with a few thoughts. 
about how we got here and how we can push further. And in particular, I think it could be very powerful if it said things that were maybe not entirely what was expected. It just, it really also depends on what's in her head and what she sees as the potential direction of the party. But uh, I think that there is an opportunity, and I think you don't have to wait until the minute you've announced your resignation to do something like that, too. Uh, but I think a piece where she sort of defined that future and said, this is for all of us, but I want to put down some of my thoughts on this. Like, I'm not saying this has to be, but I want to tell you where I am. Could really have a powerful anchoring effect and help help kind of keep everybody closer to that core going into a party, uh, into a party leadership contest. Zane, ask Corey about anchoring Pardon? effect and what it means when he says it. Corey, uh, what is the, the speech you're referring to uh, word by word? And what's the anchoring effect? Carter's asked me to ask you both of those questions, one of which may be mine. All right. Well, uh, the first is George Washington's farewell address, where George Washington sort of defined his view as to what he thought were the concerns facing the United States. He wasn't running again after two terms as president. There's There was no rule in the U.S. Constitution. He kind of set a precedent. With, he with set that. a precedent yeah, yeah. that everybody followed until FDR. And after that, they put in a constitutional amendment in the 50s, making it the law. But it used to just be a precedent. Somebody left after two terms as president. He talked about his concerns. You'll remember from the musical Hamilton, Hamilton. partisan infighting. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, he was, uh, you know, very leery of kind of foreign interference. He was, he was leery about a government that got too big. He, he spelled all these things out. He wrote this farewell address, and then he walked away. But because he was George Washington, the general who led the Continental Army, the guy who could have been a king but decided to be a president of a republic and then step away. How remarkable that is! I think we forget mm. because it's now 2023. But in you know the 1790s, how remarkable, or the 1780s, I guess. 1780s, 1790s, um, to do that is really, really something. And um, and so that's that. In terms of anchoring effect, it's a psychological effect that the first thing put on the table tends to be the thing people react to. It's used a lot in bargaining, right? So the first offer, the second offer is going to be reacting to the first offer, and the whole conversation sort of revolves around that first offer. The first thing people hear tends to be how they... Uh, interpret everything else that comes after. And so by being the first to move, you've got a very powerful way to anchor the conversation. And Rachel Notley could do that with her party. Carter, we don't know if and when th there is a, a, a uh, an exit for her. When would you do this? When would you do these, let's call it the Lougheed uh, principles? When, how, give me a little bit more um, and then the, my follow-up question to both of you, as we stay on story for a bit before we get to our list of adding to, to different things and different questions to ask, um, so Corey, you can think about this too. Is there anything else uh, a leader can do to solidify directionality? So think about that question, and Carter, maybe start answering a bit of the how as well from, from your well, perspective. Well, I think that every, how every election has the opportunity to begin the, the conversation of, you know, how do we change? Who are we and how do we change? And... You know, you can do that through any number of means. One is is kind of the um, the open, you know, the open conversation model where you go around to uh, each of the constituencies where you know ML, where you had a candidate and you meet with their executive and you talk to them about what what were the strengths, what were the weaknesses, you know, kind of real kind of party building stuff. Um, I think that has limited appeal. I think that what we're looking for, sometimes we all pretend that what we really need is more insight from the grassroots, right? If, if we could just get more insight from, from the every, you know, from the every man, um, this is not that this is how do we get leadership, 
right? What is it that we actually want? And I, you know, sometimes I think politicians rely far too much on what the polls tell them they should be doing and far too little on what they as leaders wish to achieve. I believe that people want to be led. So lead, right? So Rachel Notley could go into a cave and write this and come back out and then start speaking it to her members. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to do it. But if you, the other way of doing How it, would you do it would probably just be to, to assemble a team of people that Rachel Notley thinks the world of. I mean, she's, she's already done this in part with, with people like, um, oh, what's his name from the bank? Uh, former Todd, I think Todd, Todd Hirsch. Hirsch you're talking about you yeah, know yeah. so she's already yeah. done some of that work with Todd Hirsch now she could bring in um any number of, of different people who represent different wings of the of the uh of the Alberta electorate and just craft that up I mean I think that law he did it with a small group of his his advisors and that's really all you need is just a small group of people who have thoughts you write it down I wouldn't make it a speech I'd make it um I would then explore how you would express this over the course of ads and stories and and all the different tools that are available to us in today's um, communications field. And I'd be just communicating the hell out of it. Corey? Add to that if you'd like. And then the follow-up question is anything else to lock in directionality that a, a, a current leader can do? Well, she can. Of course. There's so much she could do. Um, she could... I'm not sure I would recommend all of these things, but one of the things, if we're going to continue on the idea of perhaps this conversation is a little too open-ended to be healthy going into a leadership contest, and maybe it's not, mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't overblow voices that we have heard of people saying the problem is the party failed to stay on its roots. I'll tell you, I've heard it from a bunch of people. I'm not sure if it's anything approximated in a majority view in the NDP. Yeah. I just don't have that sense. But... If you want to take a few things off the table, take them off the table. If there's conversations about the connections to the federal NDP and you'd rather just ask and answer them, call the question on it. Resolve it now, right? Like, you know, there are ways to do that with your thumb on the scale or not, or to varying degrees that would allow you to say, okay, well, we've had this conversation. So this leadership contest is not going to be about the connection to the federal NDP. Either remember we voted on that and we did it and it's done and it's over. Or Mm. remember we voted on that and we decided not to do it. So it's done and it's over because no leadership contest. It would be a very weird leadership contestant to say, I know the party just dealt with that question six months ago, but I want to deal with it again. Mm. That's, that seems like a super weird approach to it. So you can do things like that, and you can take things off the table. You can define like quite, quite literally principles. call the question. You, you mean you to the membership. You can quite literally call these questions yeah. more incrementally moving along, have these conversations in formal ways so that you're not polluting the overall leadership contest with it. And you can define the scope of that leadership contest in other ways, too. And there's one big one we got to throw on the table here. Mm-hmm. The rules of the leadership contest. Yeah. You are the leader right now. You... You ostensibly control the executive right now. I I say ostensibly because that won't last long. Yeah, who knows? It won't last long in, that's in sure a potential won't. leadership environment. Yeah, but you can choose. How long do you need to be a member to run to vote? How much is that membership? Is it going to be online? Is it going to be in person? Is there going to be a convention? You can determine all of those things now, and by determining that contest, you are going to have a massive effect on the outcomes. And if you want to have a more moderated one where it's more about 
party loyalty and stalwarts, well then, delegates are your friend. If you want to have something that reflects more the populist views of Albertans, well then you're probably going to want to have one of the most open one-member, one-vote systems possible. Anything in between... I don't know. There's lots of choices for leadership contests. But right now, the other thing you can do is really define the terms in which that contest is run. Carter, Corey put a few things on the table. Can I ask you to answer a few of them from your perspective? Now, putting on your strategist hat, not necessarily your strategist for current questions you need to ask, but strategist hat for answering some of those questions. We heard about party relationship to the federal party, even party name as part of it. Um, talk to me about your thoughts on, on both of those too early to make any of those declarative comments right now from your perspective, would you hold back on those? Would you do them right away? Give me your thoughts on, on the strategic, um, impulse you have in terms of what the party now needs, um, with, with those two questions. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a particularly strong point of view about, um, you know, I, I don't understand why the provincial party and the federal party are the same party. Uh, it, it confuses me. Uh, it's not the case in other in other parties, and it does open you up to a criticism. So, if Rachel Notley want like if she wanted that to be off the table, then I think the way to do that is to answer the question: Why is this good? Right? Not why does this exist, but why is this good? And then tell me a story about why it's good. Let me tell you about when Ed Broadbent was the leader of the federal party and my dad was the leader of the uh, of the provincial party. Let me tell you how it worked then and how I'd like for it to work in the future because it had value. And the, val- the common value that it had was that it actually said across the country from, from coast to coast to coast that uh, these were the values of the New Democrats. And that definition um, enabled us to cut corners and, and to tell people exactly who we were. You see, you see what I did there? I made it a story, right? I made it a story mm-hmm. and I said, this is why it was important. And then I was able to then articulate that. And I think that that's still the building block that needs to be put in place for the, for the, uh, for the Alberta NDP. Corey, do you have any thoughts on the answer to the questions you've kind of raised? So let's talk about anchors in a different sense. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is in a, both a positive. I'm going to start with the very positive yeah. sense. One of the other reasons why the NDP were competitive in 2015 and why they won that election is there are new Democrats from coast to coast to coast. And they will roam from coast to coast to coast and go to those. Dis- Zane, you worked with them, right? Like during mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. elections, they will come and they will work on the campaigns and then they'll move on to the next campaign in some cases, or they'll get jobs if the NDP win in some cases and, you know, whatever it is. But like, there is a infrastructure nationally, a social infrastructure that immediately strengthens the new Democrats when they run, right? You might be the leader of the third party in the middle of nowhere on the prairies, as Rachel Notley was, and all of a sudden you've got a viable, credible, strong campaign team in 2015, as people come in who have really, you know, they've had power, they've been in big campaigns, and you can immediately put something credible together, right? That's a real strength. It is an anchor the other way too, though, right? Like it is the NDP. And so like, you've got to determine whether that anchor up in terms of the support that it will always allow you is something that is more valuable than kind of the anchor down that we're seeing from brand, where maybe there's a ceiling because of the name New Democrat, right? Open question. Open question. I'm actually not opining on the answer to that today in terms of what I think, because we've certainly seen that ceiling be higher even in the last 10 years than where it seems to be currently. But, you know, there is, 
there is a moderating influence in ways positive and negative to being part of a larger organization. It's like pooling risk is probably the best metaphor here. So I, I don't know how you package that for the membership. I don't know how you make that sexy. But if you're thinking about the long-term viability of the organization, it has to be a consideration that you are part of a team, a national team of people, and you are always going to have a certain level of viability as long as you are. You know what I want to do? I want to actually talk about this in a future episode in terms of how you would go about making that decision strategically, tactically, even mechanically within a political party. So I want to save this broader conversation. But is it fair to say for both of you that this particular party name conversation, party identity conversation, where would that rank on the list of questions you are suggesting to ask to to, to the NDP in in terms of asking today? Like, where does it fit in your order effect, Corey? And then Carter. Zero. Okay, interesting. Last thing you do. And you if know, you're going to do it. It's one the, the last top, thing you do. This is one of the top three questions that are being swirling around right yeah. now, right? And it's the last thing you do. You don't like, get distracted if, by it. If you're going to do it, it's the last thing you do because it is the package, right? Again, we've been here already this episode. It needs to be said. Your logo is not your brand. Your name is not your brand. If you change the name now and you are still the same organization, and I'm going to continue on that same track Mm -hmm. where perhaps in the leadership contest, there is a big conversation about how the goal of the party is democratic socialism. And that's a big debate. And that's a debate now being held under the new name. That new name is tied to that conversation forever. But if that's a conversation that that is had, and at the end of that leadership contest, it's decided to set aside that purpose in the party, well, isn't that rebrand the perfect way to kind of put the bow on that for the public and say, now we are a little bit different? right? If you even want to go there. And I'm not convinced you need to go there. But Mm -hmm. my point is, you don't change the package of the product before you change the product if you're thinking about changing the product. And it sounds like people are thinking of changing the product. So it's as simple as that. It's like, it's foundational stuff here. That is the last thing people should be thinking about right now. They need to be thinking about who they are before they think about how they present themselves. Because those questions naturally flow from each other. Carter? You agree with that? I, I imagine. Oh yeah. I mean, imagine that you were you were you know creating some sort of uh, new airline, right? You you don't just from the ground you know, up. You don't just take a discount brand and throw slap it on a uh, on a WestJet plane. You know, you have to find the right reason. You know, like the brand structure will be defined through all of this, and that brand structure is then going to be lived, right? So, my thinking is. If you if you want a new brand, then it's got to be developed through new vision, uh, new structures, new uh, you know. And I I would begin the new brand construction with Rachel Notley right now, right? And I, again, I'm not talking about name. I'm not talking about federal affiliation. I'm talking about where this party is supposed to go and what is it supposed to achieve, right? Is this going to be the party that that is a great opposition? Because that was the brand that they lived for the last four years. And that could be the brand that they live... Because that was also the brand of the 70s and the 80s. Like, it was a great opposition. Mm-hmm. That was their brand. That was what they did. They held Lougheed to account. No one thought of the New Democrats in Alberta as a party that could govern. We thought of them as a party that would hold Lougheed to account. Well, if that's your brand, then put that stake in the ground. But if you want to be a, a brand that can govern Albertans, that reflects then the values of Albertans, because I find personally it's easier to get elected when people think that you're on their side, um, then I think that what you do is you start to develop that new brand right now 
today because that brand is going to take it's going to take you know 18 months to 24 months for Rachel Notley to get her head around it to wrap it up it's going to take another six months through a leadership at that point for the leadership contenders to understand what it is and it's going to take the full four years from now until the next election for people to have confidence that that brand is actually what they want to buy the next time they go to the you know to the to the ballot box to the politics store to the politics store to the politics store. That's a good episode title. Of course, I, I should be mentioning this episode is brought to us by Flair Airlines. Flair it's Airlines not- from from the ground up, rarely up from the ground. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. They give me these amazing lines Can we just every single time. Slag Air Canada instead, because I'm really pissed. No, we can't. No, 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 no we can't. Our sponsor doesn't let us do that, Carter. <sighs> uh, hey, Corey, let's get back to the list. This whole thing has been a list building exercise, and we're at two things on the list. Yeah, we're we've good got, at this. Yeah, we're no, we've got we've got money slash readiness, and we've got story slash brand. We've talked about name. We've talked about leadership a bit. Maybe I'll kind of give you a few other things that could go on this list. How you deal with candidates and critic roles. Uh, you know how you think about future sort of um, uh, overarching connections. We've talked about that to the federal party, which almost falls into the same category. Perhaps it doesn't, um, but one would think as as the name bucket. Anything from that list or anything else that you would add to these list of immediate questions you are asking? Not existential or long-term, but immediate today questions. Well, I think one of the things that Stephen said at the top is still really good advice, which is like, cool your jets a bit, which is not mm. how he said it, but I'll say it that way. You, re- I believe pretty firmly that you need to capture your feelings after something like this. Like you need to say like, okay, well, what do I think in the moment? Like, I've got to write this down. I've got to get it. I got to understand how I felt before mm-hmm. it drifts into myth. I think we've already seen it drift yeah. a bit into myth. I'll, I'll tell you, as I've said on this pod, I don't a hundred percent buy the narrative that is firming up around why Rachel Notley lost the election. I think that's a little simple and it's not backed up by the data that we have available publicly at the very least. Right. Mm-hmm. But you want to capture those immediate sentiments. I'm not sure you want to act on those immediate sentiments. I think you need to know what they are so you don't forget them and misremember them. But you also need the benefit of time and distance to say what's real and what's not. And what did we only think was real in the moment? And and Stephen was alluding a bit to this too. Like People have theories. We're going to... The elections like this can be unpacked for the next four really? years, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of after the fact, okay, mm-hmm, why did mm-hmm. we do well there? Why did we not do well there? What misled us into thinking we were going to do well there in some cases, right? And you've got to build this out based on data, some of which will not become fully available. And I guarantee you that poll by poll analysis, even in kind of like this quantitative sense, has not been done yet. Like people have mm-hmm. not crunched the numbers on this fucker. We haven't gotten that demographic data we often get in the final report from Elections Alberta. None of that stuff exists at this moment. So you can't tell me the work has been done. You need a little bit of moment. Nothing in life is as good or as bad as you think it is. Your victories are not as sweet. Your defeats are not as sour. You need a little bit of time and you need a little bit of perspective on this so that you don't overreact and do a bunch of crazy shit and break what was a party that was really close to winning, Mm -hmm, as we mm -hmm. have said multiple times. Doesn't mean you don't change. Means you need to sit and be thoughtful about the change and be very intentional about the path that you take. Never mistake action for direction. Make sure you have a direction first. 
Carter, you know, I, I'm going to throw something else out there and almost go back to a point that I think you did a, a very articulate, you made a very articulate note about, but it was a drive-by comment. And I want to make sure I understand it clearly, which was about leadership. You're, hi- you're a hired party strategist for the NDP. And, and, and the Rachel Notley conversation to you is murky right now. You don't know when. She hasn't told you. Are you okay with that? Like, or, or do you need to, to write your story? Do you need to script out the four years today? As you think about plotting and planning for the future as part of your immediate questions, talk to me about how you're processing that, that leadership question as it relates to, once again, I try to put a fine point on it, what you care about for your party, less so what the broader media cares about in terms of a, a conversation. Point. Yeah. Where does, how much do you need to know about leadership? Right? Not very much at all. I need to know, you know, it's kind of like when you, you go and you're working for a corporate client, right? You go and you work for a corporate client and, uh, you know, you find out early in the, in the gig that the person who hired you is on thin ice and probably won't make it to um, the next, you know, like the contract renewal period. Well, okay, that's fine. You know, you, when will they go? doesn't matter. You got to you got to do what you got to do. And the thing that you've got to do is make sure that you've got relationships throughout the organization. And that's what, the way I would approach it if I was managing, you know, the strategy for the NDP. And the, and the questions I would ask would remain the same. The questions are, who do you want to represent? What do you want to be known for? Uh, how do you want to be viewed? What what would be the best thing for you to, to hear at the end of this exercise? You know, um, how do you want people to perceive you? You know, and there's some common answers that we see all the time in politics. And and one of them, for example, would be, well, I'd like to feel like we're doing the best that we can for Alberta families. Okay. Is that dependent on Rachel Mm -hmm. Notley? No, not at all. No, simple answer. I like simple answers. Simple answers are probably the best ones. So if you wanted to, and I'm just going to answer some of your other questions that you asked earlier in that frame. I'm just going to assume that we all agree that Alberta families are the thing that we're talking about, not Alberta seniors, because there was a time when we talked about Alberta seniors. But let's assume that Alberta families are the ones that we're actually talking about. Well, then, when we appoint those critics, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to try and put people who have the family structures that tie into the ministries the best. Right. So I'm going to probably appoint someone with children into healthcare. I'm probably going to appoint someone with children into education. It'd be great if someone who maybe was recently in post-secondary education, you know, Najwan would get appointed in edu- into energy because she's an energy person. And the fact, for example, that, you know, the energy file is represented outside of Calgary, but Najwan, like you would, you'd be able to talk about family at every level, right? Najwan created and supported her family because of the energy industry period. Right. But energy industry is bigger than oil and gas. Right. So you, you create family ties all the way through because in a perfect world, these are simple stories with simple understandings that everybody can implement. And so your critic roles should reflect a simple, a simple through line. Right. So, Rachel Notley leaving, irrelevant. Rachel Notley staying, irrelevant. Tell me what you want to try and establish. What's the brand direction that we wanted to get going on? And then we'll flush out the rest later. And that's how I'd answer these very tactical decisions that need to be made. Because they do need to be made. It's not like you can't have critics, but you don't really need critics until when? When are they going to go back into the ledge, Corey? Like, like. October? I don't know. I don't know if we know yeah, yet. October, yeah. I, I think, think we know. October. The speculation for fall. Yeah, yeah. So who the fuck cares? I mean, maybe the individual MLAs care, but yeah, who cares? 
Corey, your th- your thoughts on leadership as a as a quote unquote party strategist in this scenario, right? That I'm 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 hypothetically putting you in. Do you really need to know the the entire four year arc so you can plan for it today, or are you okay like Carter just being like? quote quarter irrelevant on both sides of of the equation yeah well i wouldn't say it's irrelevant obviously your strategy is better if you understand more right Mm -hmm. say all the time good strategy comes from good analysis so understanding a pretty foundational piece like oh is the leader staying or going that's that's not irrelevant and i i think that uh that's pretty important if you're trying to optimize your strategy but that said a lot of the time, optimal is not available to us, right? And you have to build in optionality. And it's as a strategist, I think one of the joys of my, I truly believe this, like I like more when the problem is really messy, like when there's mm. the weird things that you got to kind of figure out. Why? And it's like, well, because that's the puzzle of it. That's what makes it a crossword. That's what makes it interesting to me. It's like, we want to do X, we want to do Y, we want to do Z, but you are constrained by conditions one through 12. Like that's that's fucking fun. Like that's that's actually what's interesting about strategy. Would this would this actually be an interesting problem for for your brain, right? Like this particular one in front of you? Oh, I think anybody's. But, you know, mm. there are things that you can do to sort of make your job a little easier as a strategist there. And the first is to say I I I right I right I right. right. We got to we got to clear some stuff off the table here. We got to we got to unmuddy some waters. You might decide to leave, you might decide not to leave, right? But there are some things that will be common on both decision trees. Like you imagine if you decision tree them out, mm-hmm. how they're going to act on caucus, how you're going to act on, uh, you know, critic appointments, which I suppose could be part of caucus, how you're going to act in fundraising. And if you're going to act the same way on the leave and not leave paths in those areas, well, that's easy. Take it off the table. Then you know what you're doing there. That's super simple right? And then you're left with a relatively small bucket of things that you have to decide what you're going to do with because you act differently depending on whether you're going to leave or not leave. So things like your farewell address we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're not saying farewell, you're not doing a farewell address. But it allows you to sort of narrow uh, the scope of what's in play and sort of like I said, clear that table and then focus on those things, which can become the strategic drivers and the, okay, we're going to move this way together until this point. Then we're going to have to make a decision by this day or else we're going to have to give up this thing. That's the nature of strategy. You're working with constraints towards goals. That's fine. But you just want to clear the table as much as possible. And a lot of things on the table will be the same whether you're staying or going. I think that's the common ground for me and Steven. Carter, we've talked about we've talked about readiness slash money. We've talked about brand slash story. We've punted. Both of you have punted things like name and an overarching sort of connection to the Fed party. In some ways, we've talked about leadership in terms of what's possible and what's optimal. And what Corey, I think I like your phrasing. Um, what optionality you may have on that, and what you can uh, actually understand. Anything else, Carter? If you were to round out this list that you'd put on if, as a strategist brought in to help the NDP that you'd say, this is another question I'm asking ourselves right away. Because I either want to solidify it, I either want to resolve it, I want to put it in stone. I, I there's, a, there's a reason for it, but I'm asking it right away here. I'm not asking it in six months. I'm not caring. I'm not being indifferent about it. I'm asking it today. Anything else for you, Carl? I think I would ask a, a simple question. What are you actually willing to change? Right? Um, what are you willing to change and for what potential outcomes, right? So for example, are you willing to change um, your storytelling capacity, right? Are you willing to um, to shake it up a little bit and, and start 
telling the stories that we've you know been critical of of Rachel of not being able to tell um are you you know what are what are the things you actually want to do are you willing to distance more from Jugmeet Singh are you willing to um take on previous policies that the NDP may have held uh what is it that you're willing to change you know because there may be some things that are just simply off the table and um what if I were to say that, you know, like if there were things that you, if I was to recommend that you change them, you could win, then would we actually change that conversation? Would you take something off the I will not change this pile if I said, you know, I think you can win if you take that off the pile? Um, so what, you know, because life is a series of compromises, Zane, as, as you know, now that you're a father, um, <laughs> you, you don't get your way all the time. But you do get your own barbecue. Uh, this is what I'm told. Nobody told yeah, you that, but yeah, you do. Yeah, you get your own barbecue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, what are you willing to change? And what are you, even if you say you're not willing to change something, would you reconsider it if, if it meant actually winning the government? Because uh, there are certain hills that people will not cross uh, to win the government. I mean, not in conservative land, but... Um, in other less principled environments, I suppose. But Carter, what if that willing to change is is one of the things that Corey's mentioned that kind of falls into a leadership? It's too it's late. Not, the re, are you too late? Are you putting it in today because you want to know the guardrails today for no, the party? No, I want to know the brand what of if, the party the, today. I want to know where we're going to answer- take the party because right. if the brand is being completely established by the next leadership crop, then the next leadership crop could be, fuck, I don't know. Take back Alberta could take it over. I don't know. Fuck. They're the most powerful uh, political organization in the in the province right now. Why wouldn't they take over all the political parties? Um, you know, just for shits and giggles, if for nothing, no other reason. Um, so, you know, if you if you want the election, if you want your leadership to be conducted under a set of principles, then to Corey's point, you need to anchor those principles into the organization now, mm. and then the rest. You know, someone could still conceivably campaign on I wish to undo this set of principles, but now they are trying to undo the set of principles. And that's just harder than trying to, you know, if there are no principles, it becomes a lot easier for someone to waltz in and to take, potentially take over a party. Yeah. Yeah, React. I mean, I totally agree. Listen, a leadership contest that can determine the NDP being anything between the Pam Barrett NDP of the nineties and the Stephen Mandel Alberta party of like last election. Like if that's all on the table, that's really, really, that's really dangerous. That's really dangerous for this province. That's really dangerous and really messy. And it just needs to be a lot more narrowed than that. And I think that that's actually the best gift. If Rachel Notley's thinking of leaving, she could give her party a little bit more focus on that thing. And to Stephen's point, it's not like it can't be undone. But you built this party in very ad hoc ways. It has changed fundamentally. Start codifying some of those changes. Start putting together that Rachel Notley manifesto almost. Like, this is mm. what the NDP became under me. Uh, I, I hope you will continue on a journey in this way. I now leave it to the membership. Something along those lines. Would you go further and, 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 and say, this is my chosen no. candidate? God, no. It'll no. backfire. Then, then you've poisoned literally everything yeah. that you said before that in that memo. Right, because then it looks like something different. You want to look like the party states person. You want to look like I've done my bit. I'm not choosing a candidate. I will support 
the person who comes next, as as a good former leader does, this is what I believe, and now I leave it over to you. I've this taken is so this party as far as I can. There's there's probably many people listening, at least some people listening, saying, well, isn't the most obvious way to continue on and solidify directionality by choosing your successor? And I just want to, for those who could not see it, and that's all of you, these two said the exact same thing when the same millisecond, which was God know immediately. Like it was a, a, like a visceral reaction for both of you. Can we spend a bit of time on this, Carter? I'll let you kind of opine on this particular element. Why Why it seems like the short, it's short circuits, and I maybe short circuit, it's a shortcut yeah. to all of this, what you've been talking about, all these lessons. I Listen, here's a person. If you like me, like them. Why not that, Be- Carter? Because that's, it's temporary. It's It's weak. Right. What you want to do is actually build something that is strong enough to survive a, a, a process, strong enough to survive the, 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 you know, meeting the enemy on the field, if you will. Right. And the only way to do that is to enable the enemy to take the field. Right. Like when we had um, Jason Kenney was coming in to take over the Progressive Conservative Party, um, there were tools that could have been used by the progressive conservatives to actually stop that. They didn't put, but they weren't strong enough to do that because they didn't have any values or any strengths that they actually stood for. So it was very easy to come in and take over the party. If, if we'd actually been a stronger party that actually reflected some of those values that Alison Redford had actually put forward, or, you know, even the ones, I mean, Jesus, we lost Lahid's values uh, so quickly under the Klein regime. Um, But you know, if you if you have actual values and you can actually show people what they are, then you don't need to control it from outside. It, it, it is stronger when you don't. You will weaken the organization by putting your thumb on the scale. Yeah, I think for me, in some ways, it's it's that. But there's also some more foundational, simpler things. You are the leader. You control the election. It looks like your thumb is on the scale then. And that calls into question the entire process that follows the minute you make some bold decisions like that. That's a real challenge. Like the minute you, the person who controls the apparatus that is running this contest, makes a decision about who's going to lead the apparatus, it looks like the fix is in. It's done. You've undermined party democracy. You've undermined the legitimacy and the credibility of your leader. And that's a real problem here, right? There is a bigger, more high-minded case to make as well, which is, you know, organizers choose leaders. Leaders set principles. And if you want to be a true leader, set the principles. Don't try to choose the leader. Well, and, and look right. what happened in the BC NDP, right? I mean, it was it was supposed to be a simple, easy handoff. Um, you know, they're going to hand it off to David Eby. He gets himself all ready to go. Everybody else decides that they're going to stand down. They're not going to challenge. And then out of the blue, out of the woodwork, comes this uh, candidate whose name escapes me, but she's from the, the the environmental movement. The environmental movement has some strength. They're able to put forward a solid and compelling case as to why um, the uh, the BC NDP need to think about different priorities. And all of a sudden, the BC NDP, in order to hold on to the party itself, has to actually kill her candidacy. Um, which make them look weak, made EB look weak, and it undermined the overall, you know, strength and direction of the party. Uh, it had the exact opposite effect that it should have had by having a strong leadership process with a strong party. One final point, yeah. a little more prosaic. You're Rachel Notley. You choose your leadership candidate. That leadership candidate loses. What does that say about everything else Disaster. that you've done and built? Yeah. 
right? It's a disaster if you want to be establishing the party in a more foundational way. Leaders are transient. What we're proposing Rachel Notley do is something beyond one leader. Mm. It, this goes back to how Stephen opened this question, right? Or his response to it. It's almost too small, right? You you were trying to set the overall direction of this organization. But if you say, this should be the direction, and I choose this leader, and that leader fails, you didn't set your direction <laughs> at all, yeah. right? Like, that, you, you have basically undercut your ability entirely to step away from leadership and say, in a bigger sense than leadership, this is how I define this party. Uh, having the style or diction of prose lacking poetic beauty, prosaic, uh, for those at home. Uh, that don't know what it means, which I suspect is uh, is most not me. I knew it right uh, away. No, did you no, know right I did away? Not, but thank I mean, you for explaining. This, this is a different type it. of yeah. spelling bee. This is where brown people actually tell you definitions of words that they. <laughs> uh, Corey, anything else to add to the list before I move on to the over under and the lightning? I I mean I'm I'm sure there'll be a million I, things I'm, over I'm, the next bit, but that's oh I'm sure are there we will doing be. a this second today conversation or just the one? We are moving on to our over under. When are we doing the why'd you lose segment, Zane? When's that going to happen? I've given you the same answer multiple times. The Alberta party was a fucking machine oh. we couldn't deal with, Carter. Okay. <laughs> Why'd you lose, Zane? <laughs> How many times? How many times, Carter? I've Carter. gone through it a couple times. You know, Corey hasn't done anything, so he hasn't had to, but... Uh... Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Corey, just, Corey just talks. Corey I just, just talk. Talks. I call hey, people. Carter. Hey, Carter. Um, over under a lightning round. Advice to those that are thinking of running for leadership for the NDP. They don't know if it's going to open up. They don't know it's going to be a job in the near future, distant future, at all available within their time, whether they're in or out of caucus. Generic advice you would give them as a strategist of high regard, what would you tell them? Um, keep your powder dry. Do not wind up in a situation where you're suddenly the next um, Jim Dinning, uh, where you're looking like you're gunning for the the existing leader. Um, Rachel's earned, uh, as much time as she wants to make the decision. And if she doesn't make the decision on your timeline, well, fuck you. Cause you're the one, you're not the one who, who did all the heavy lifting that she just has gone through. Um, that doesn't mean you don't make telephone calls and chat with people. I mean, be friendly, but don't be an idiot. Be friendly. Don't be an idiot. Keep your powder dry and fuck you were the, uh, it was the advice from Stephen Carter. Yeah. <laughs> All tracks. Corey, uh, would you just want to copy and paste that or you have something else to, to, to add? Look, that's always good advice in a situation like this. The other thing I think as a follow on to this conversation we've just had is as a leadership candidate, your instinct will be everything should be settled by the leadership because now you are mm. you are putting on that cloak in your mind and you're imagining yourself as leader and you want to make decisions as leader and even though you are not leader you will start thinking well she can't do that that should be up for the next leader to decide you're wrong there's too much on the table right now you're in a very dangerous place and if you aspire to lead this party you do not aspire to lead a party in such a wide open leadership contest because the prize you are after will be fundamentally fractured if things go awry in that particular leadership contest. And it doesn't take a big imagination to imagine things going fundamentally awry in that leadership contest. So you want to help her kind of settle the things that the party needs to have settled. You're in the tent, you're in the caucus in this scenario. So fucking figure it out together. Acknowledge the fact she's still leader. Acknowledge there are still decisions to be made and acknowledge that an open field that is this open is actually more danger than opportunity. Corey, I'm going to stick with you for, for this next one. Uh, putting your your uh, proverbial party strategist hat back on, how do you deal with any advice to just out there or any sort of experiences you may have had? How do you deal with star candidates who thought they were going to be cabinet ministers and now the best thing they're going to get is a critic role in the opposition benches for the next four years? 
your, your thoughts on that? I know it's, I'm asking this as an over under lightning round question, but I'm curious if you have more to say, say it. But your your thoughts or general advice from a strategy and party management perspective, where you've recruited stars, they may leave you for other pastors, they may not stick with you, so to speak. Next cycle, um, one would imagine. But your your overall thoughts on that? Uh, it's tough. I mean, they're going to make like sixty grand less a year than potentially they would have if they were in cabinet. Yeah, hopefully if they were a st- I mean, we've had conversations about stars. I'm not really sure there were any like true like superstars. Let's, let, let's, just, let's just use the term high quality, right? Yeah, high okay. quality candidates. All right. Well, here's the thing. You've got to you've got to remind them that there's a bigger story and there's a bigger puzzle and there's a bigger picture and there were never guarantees and I'm sure you never guaranteed them anything if you were Rachel Notley, right? Mm-hmm. But there's never guarantees in this particular thing. And you want to know one of the biggest challenges with stars and this is worth unpacking on another episode. And I'll just say high quality these are people who are coming from walks of life where they're used to an awful lot more authority than they're going to find in the legislature, frankly. Mm. Like it's a real shift to go I think about and I'm not saying this because of any conversation or any insight with either directly with Luann Metz or indirectly, but like going from like a respected physician to being a backbench opposition MLA, boy, you know, that, that speed change can kill you. Right. And you've got a, you, that's going to be a challenge in its own right for people to deal with. You know, you've got the Samirs, you've got the Najwans, you've got people who are used to doing things a certain way. And don't forget, even on their campaign, they're the big dog. People are coming in every day saying how great they are at the doors. They're hearing how they're loved. And now it's a different world. And uh-huh. it's a different world that is full of abuse from the public that doesn't pay particularly well, that doesn't have the levels, levels of authority you even thought you were going to have in cabinet. I mean, fuck. It's tough, man. But that's the nature of it. Carter, any advice? Yeah, I mean, do a quick reality check. If you were that big a star, um, I'm just going to throw it out there. You probably would have won. Um, You know, like you would have helped them actually win the election. You weren't such a big star that the election was won. So how big a star do you think you actually are? Because you're not. So my recommendation, uh, do a great job in your critic role. Uh, you weren't promised a ministry. You probably weren't going to get there. And try not to suck, you fucking idiots. So hold on. You weren't big enough of a star to win, to win the, the whole, whole election. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You didn't, Amazing. You didn't, you didn't outshine the leader. And with you the whole election. Star? Fuck you, you think you're a star? Lost. You it's lost. Quite the take. <laughs> fucking loser. Right? Okay. Wait, wait. These are people who have won. Just so I'm. Just so no, you're. No, clear. no, no. You didn't win no, because no. they're not you government. Tell the people. They're not government. They're just, they're so just people sitting around talking bullshit. Your coattails were so big, just, were they? Yeah, yeah. Like, talking okay. bullshit. I just want to let anyone in the in my friends, the Alberta New Democratic Party, that are listening, Stephen Carter is available for a one day contract. If if you want this message delivered in person, oh, I'm sure they're. You know available. what? I know <laughs> that there's them. people in the leadership that want that would want me to say that. Oh, fuck. Carter. They... Carter, back to the fuck you strategy. Carter, I'm sticking with you for this okay. last one. Um, any progress on getting us to rail car restaurant for our next episode? Yeah, good question. Uh, yes, good some question. progress. Well, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> please. That was a Patreon, by the way. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Go to strategistpatreon.com. Part with $6. You'll get the access to the back Several catalog. phone calls and, have been uh, made. That'll all make sense. Uh, emails no, have come I'll, back. I'll tell you right now. You're okay. wrong you about the that, $300 right a month thing. Uh, so we're gonna have to Am buy it for the four hundred. Uh, four hundred grand. Listen, but we it's are okay trying because our I've best. already signed uh, up, uh, Corey, for the mortgage. So, 
Corey, can we, start, can we start a Kickstarter or something like that? Listen, here's here's the skinny. We want to buy the Danielle Smith Railcar Restaurant, turn it into podcast studio, and then move it. You know, the worst part chair. is we're going to be okay. in a bidding war against yeah. all these high highfalutin donors that want to get around the donation limits. So it's going to be tough, guys. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of our money right now is tied up in traditional advertising. Yeah, so. it's true. It's yeah, true. but it's an investment yeah. that'll pay off. I think it's I think. already yeah. paying off, Corey. Yeah. So there's been no fucking progress, is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> no, well, there's no, not really. But okay, well, thank you, thank you for wasting all that time, uh, Corey. Any any uh, final appeals to to now the broader audience uh, around why we want to take this this beautiful historic real car restaurant, which is up for sale uh, and maybe possibly rent, um, and and turn it into one of our own. You think it is. How much is it? How much is it? For How rent? much is it? If you know, tell us. Yeah, tell us. Don't... I was just reading. Yeah. Okay, more than $350 a month. How much? Well, I more? don't know exactly. It's an extremely wish... confusing listing. Well, what do you expect? I mean, they're down in high risk. I mean, the guy who's listing it, you know, not, not you know, nice fellas. <laughs> don't don't dock nice the guy fella. who's listing it. Okay. Don't give his cell phone number. Okay. Corey, any, anything you want to. Yeah. Okay, Corey, do you want to, anything you want to add on this? I'm just saying there are a lot of open areas in Che around Rotary Park. I think we could easily plan. I think that Che is the place to go with it. I'm totally on board for that. I just, I would remind you, we don't have railroad tracks all the way to where we want to put it. That's a good, that's a fair point. Is it a good point? It's a fair point. It's a fair point. That's good. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1076 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan, and we'll see you next time.